0: Sorry to break up the party. Everyone's having so much fun, so I'm enjoying your enjoyment, but uh, this is uh, the time to um, reconvene for some Dhamma discussion, if there are uh, any questions people have. I would ask people to wait and, uh, for the microphone, so that then everybody can hear the questions that are being asked, and also that, so the questions can be recorded as well for uh, the... Um, Uh, future access so please the floor is open if anyone would like to ask anything just uh, don't be shy this is your opportunity there's a hand there
1: Um, yeah, hi. I've got uh, well, two things. The first one is you mentioned a book about halfway through the talk, and there was so much information going on. I, my mind didn't grasp the title. If you could just uh, repeat the title, it would be really. Yeah. The title
0: is Dependent Origination, and the subtitle is The Buddhist Law of Conditionality, and the author is pa Payutto spelt P-A-Y-U-T-T-O. And uh, if you Google his name, you'll find a whole collection of his, all his writings in English are f-
1: available for free download. Thank you, so. right. Um, the actual um, question I have, um, in your talk, you mentioned that there are two, or two cycles. There's the um, confusion cycle where things keep on repeating themselves over and over again, or there's a search cycle where you can break out, Um, and you mentioned like at the beginning of that search cycle um, is that you notice that other people have broken out from this, therefore it's possible to break out and this leads on to, um, you know, going further on around that positive cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I always trip up on this is that um, I can see that other people can break out of it, and I know it's possible, but I seem to have a deep-rooted belief that I can't. <laughs> they can, but I can't. And that sort of means that, even though I appear to go a bit further on, I keep on getting pulled back to the beginning, because I said, no, I can't break free, and there isn't a way for me to do it. And it keeps sort of yo-yoing backwards and forwards, never getting very far. Um, so I was wondering i feel like there's a bit of a gap in the cycle for me that i can get to that one stage and i can't get past that stage and i need another something to help me move through
0: well that is a good question um one of the, the key aspects of uh meditation is um i would say is learning not to believe our thoughts just because our mind says something it doesn't mean it's true and um and so with the mind that says well that's true for other people but not me you know i really am broken i really am useless I, I, you know i'm weak i can't do that and the 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 meditation and that quality of, of sort of mindfulness awareness that can be brought to that very thought and to say well that's a thought just like you can say well that's a perception of the color blue or that's a sound of a of a bird i hear outside the window it's a thought why do i give it meaning or who says that that's true and why why should that be taken as being totally credible so that that um uh in, in, even if you don't um sort of oppose the content at least you can without any kind of um uh say um debate you can say well that's a thought. It arises. It passes away. It may be true. It may not be true. But it is just a thought. It's not an absolute reality. So, learning to see our thoughts as thoughts, because within Buddhist psychology, thought is just a sense object, like the eye perceives light, the ear perceives sound, the mind perceives thought. It's just another sense object. Our culture tends to worship thought as an ultimate reality. Which I think we kind of inherited from the Greeks that thought is somehow taken to be absolutely substantial and real but uh, if you sort of shift the perspective on it and and I've I've had to work with this a a lot over the the years and sometimes those kind of self-judgments can be really screaming at you like no it's your responsibility to 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 admit you're a failure (laughs) you are useless admit it and you can say well maybe true maybe not true but this is actually just a thought shut up this isn't just a thought this is the truth well, that statement that this is, shut up, this is not a thought, this is the truth, that begins and ends, that arises and passes away. Um, whether it's true or not is a secondary issue, but this, in this moment, is a thought. It begins, it arises, it does its thing, it comes to an end. So you're looking and, and uh, observing the actuality of what's present. And that, that is really very frustrating to, this, to the habits of self-view, like the, no, it's your responsibility to hate yourself. You know, you've got to admit, you know, you're really an awful person or you're a useless person. But the, I would say those are uh, deeply entrenched judgments. You can't just will them away. But um, what you can do with a meditation is to, in a sense, recognize, well, that's one voice in the mind. Thank you for sharing. And, uh, and so, you know, for myself, I, I use... Uh, like a model of a committee meeting, you know that uh, you put wisdom as the chair of the committee, and then if you've ever tried to conduct a committee meeting, probably a few of us have done here, it's important to if you're going to be an effective chair, you've got to listen to all the voices around the table, even if some of them are some of them are completely wacky, you know, like, well, good grief, you know, where's he coming from? But oh well, thank you for sharing, <laughs> and you are able to to respect that. Even the most wacky people have got the right to you know, hold those opinions. You don't have to put them in charge. So letting that voice, like saying, you, you know, you're useless, you're a failure, you, you know, you're never going to break free of this, you're, you know, you're just kidding yourself. So, Well, thank you for sharing, that's a judgment. Yeah, okay, very good. Sorry to anybody else. And so then it's kind of a mind game, but it's kind of an effective mind game. And so that... Uh, it's just a matter of rejigging the way that thoughts are held. And uh, I think just taking a simple phrase like simply because I think it, it doesn't mean it's true. Get a t shirt, you know, <laughs> print that on the front or write it on your shaving mirror, you know, and, and, and just keep reminding yourself of that. And even if there's a lot of protestation in the mind that says, "Ah, come on, you can't kid yourself, you yeah, know, really, you know," yeah, that uh, say, "Well, thank you for sharing that as well," and just keep reflecting. Let's keep bringing that quietly, steadily up, and then uh, that that has its effect if you're you know, patient and and uh, keep applying that, because it, you're not trying to make yourself believe something that isn't true. It rather you're. Unveiling something that is true already, but the the habits of thinking are judging in a particular way. So, other questions? Reflections? Don't be shy. I know this is almost guaranteed to make the mind go quiet. There's the one at the front here.
1: It's quite, thank you very much. It was quite profound. Think take take a few months before I understand everything. <laughs> so you mentioned about you get a buzz just before you're going to get what you want. You mentioned some study where you get the maximum buzz mm. is just before you're going to have a chocolate or something. Yes. So what's the solution for it? If I deprive myself, the next time it's going to come back with a vengeance.
0: Not necessarily. No. You see, because that, that's the trick, you see, because desire is a liar. In English, they conveniently rhyme with each other. Because when you desire something, like you say, I want, you know, I want chocolate, I've got to have a chocolate. In that moment, the universe has shrunk to me, who's this person who's lacking chocolate, and that chocolate that is going to make me happy. And the more the mind absorbs into that, then the rest of the universe just disappears. And the, all you want is that thing. It's like, it, it, you know, at the mealtime, if you're queuing up for, for the. Uh, I don't know if you're here at lunchtime. So you're queuing up and you see, oh, there's one slice of pizza left. And there's five people in front of me. <laughs> and then, and, right, I mean, I'm speaking from experience, you know. <laughs> The, when when i was when I was a monk in Thailand uh, in the in nineteen seventy eight I was a novice in Thailand and i uh, for the rains retreat, I undertook the the vow just to live on the food that was given by people in the village and not to accept any food that was brought to the monastery and uh, it's amazing how good your eyesight can be <laughs> because i I was, an, I was one of the novices so i 'm at the back of the line of monks walking through the village and in, you're supposed to have your eyes on the ground, but even with a momentary glance up, you can you can see that at uh, the next group of women at the at the, at the house on the corner of the village street, you know the third woman along has got a, a plate and she's got five pieces of sweet corn. That's like fifty yards, <laughs> and you know, damn, I'm you know I'm monk number six, <laughs> or maybe I'm maybe I'm miscounting, and and the whole at that moment the universe has shrunk to that person's plate. Everything else is gone. My mother and father are gone. You know, know, any illnesses I have, it's all gone. It's just like, how many pieces of sweet corn on that plate? Everything else has vanished. And so that's what happens. And the more the mind absorbs into that and gets lost in it, then your entire happiness, your whole value as a human being becomes focused on, I gotta get that piece of pizza or chocolate. You know, everything else disappears. And so then the, the if you can see, this is crazy. Uh, you know, I was, I was already full before I started queuing up for seconds. Uh, I don't really need that. I'm just telling myself that, let go of it. So the more that you can recognize, well, that's just the mind saying, I've got to have pizza or chocolate or whatever. Um, that's, that's just the mind creating a want. It doesn't mean it's true. It's just a, a, a feeling that's arising. I, actually, the very, my very first day in the monastery, and probably one of the reasons why I'm a monk nearly 40 years later, is because um, uh, when I, I first showed up, I'd never read a Buddhist book. I'd never practiced meditation before. I'd never even heard of Ajahn Chah the, until the day before I went to the monastery. And um, so one of the, the, the novices there was explaining meditation to me and, and talking about the Four Noble Truths. And, uh, and he said the same thing, that your know, desire is a, is a liar, that you, 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 we, we suffer because we, we, th- we keep th- chasing after things that we want and then uh, being gratified and being disappointed and wanting something else. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you know, you, you're, you're suffering. I said, I'm not suffering, I'm fine, I'm fine. Which, of course, I wasn't. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I, I listened to what he said. And then during the meditation that evening, I arrived sort of mid-afternoon, they had a meditation that evening. So um, uh, they don't have any food in the evening in the monasteries, you know, standard procedure. So uh, about 10, 15 minutes into the meditation, I start to feel hungry. And so I thought, oh, i really like something, uh, i really like some pineapple. And um, so... Uh, I thought, oh, this is a desire. That's what this novice was talking about. So, um, so he said, just watch it, and it'll go away. And I said, well, I'm hungry. I'd like some pineapple. I haven't got any pineapple. I'm still hungry. This Buddhism is stupid. <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought. It's like, well, so what? I'm, I'm feeling hungry. You know, I want the pineapple. I haven't got any. Big deal. How, how's that supposed to be helpful? But then, about 10 minutes later, I realized, oh, I've forgotten that I was hungry. I've forgotten about the the pineapple. Oh, and then the the, the sort of the life-changing thought hit me. I didn't get the pineapple and nothing is missing. Yes, Yes, exactly. So that was like the kind of curtains parting and the yellow brick road opening up in front of me. It's like, that's the way. It's a lie when the when the mind says I got to have, it's not true. Ninety nine 99 times out of a hundred, it's not true. Yeah, and 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 so it was a, it was not a very rational thing. It was more much more of an intuitive feeling. It's like, right, just stay with that and you'll be fine. And so that's what I've been staying with for the last forty years. <laughs> so it, it's a. Like I was saying at the end of the talk, the principal thing is recognizing the difference between liking and wanting, or disliking and hating. That you can be with something that's really uncomfortable and not hate it or resent it. You don't have to create suffering in yourself because of something unpleasant, or sad, you know, sad or disappointing. It's like a, just like a bitter taste, that's all. It's like, you know, yesterday was beautifully sunny, today it's kind of cool and grey. Oh, we can be, feel sad. Oh, yesterday was so nice. Or we can make nothing out of it. Say, so, yeah, well, that's right. Weather changes. This is England, and that uh, that our, our happiness hinges around that. That and and when we see a habit, like if you're addicted to chocolate, yeah, and you've, that's al- That's always the way you've got your endorphin flush, you know. <laughs> Is uh, through that, then you you know we've made a strong habit. The mind really wants to go that, and the, the more um, deep that a uh, trench that we've dug in the mind, then the more the mind will tend to go that way. It's like the Buddha said, uh, that which the mind frequently thinks and ponders about, that is the direction in which the mind will tend to go. Duh, you know it's kind of, but. You know, if we seek satisfaction through that channel, then that's where the mind will tend to go. So, the deeper, a, a stronger a habit is, the harder it is to break it. But we can still recognise, you know, it, it, me getting what I want is not a permanent happiness. And then, by steadily, patiently, you know, bringing that to our attention, and then slowly, we can break free of the habits.
2: Thank you. Um, isn't it that uh, we see everything as being permanent, so we get attached to things? If we see things as being impermanent, we won't get attached to things and let go of it much easier?
0: That's absolutely correct. <laughs> but uh, the, if we really do see things as impermanent, uh, the more comprehensive that seeing is, then the easier we make life for ourselves. If it's just like a three-year-old can understand what goes up must come down, you know, as a concept, it's one thing. But if we re- if we fully uh, take to heart the implications of that, then and we see that it reaches into every corner of our of our experience. Oh, everything is uncertain. Everything is impermanent. Oh. Then the more that comprehensive that is, then the more that, that changes the whole way that we experience you know, the world and, and what we are. Like the the Buddha characterised the insight into that the that the, the, the forms stream entry, like the irreversible guarantee of enlightenment, is whatever whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation. Yankinchi samudaya dhammang sabantang niroda damanti. whatever begins ends. A three-year-old can figure that out, right? Intellectually, that's not challenging. <laughs> it's really easy to to accept that as a concept, but to for that to really soak into the way that you relate to your possessions, your body, your health, your reputation, your friends, your relations, your uh, your capacities to think, to see, to smell, to taste, to touch, then. <clears throat> If that really soaks through every dimension of your of your world, then you're fine. <laughs> but uh, what happens is that oh yeah, whatever begins ends. That's that's fine. I hear a bird. The sound of the bird begins. It ends. Fine. Cool. But then when you get to the door and you and you realize, I don't know what my shoes look like. Did I come in this door? Oh. My memory's gone. Oh, and who did I come with? Oh, you know, we we uh, if we're wise, there'll be the reflection: memory is impermanent, and that you know your memory just collapsed. Your memory just gave way. If you're wise, then that won't be distressing. It's like, oh, there goes another one. <laughs> If we're not wise, then it's like, oh, I used to be able to think straight and I can't remember where my shoes are. I don't even know what my shoes look like. What's happening to me? I've got Alzheimer's. What, you know, what, what will I do? And how immediate, intense dukkha. And I'm, I'm not making fun of this as a mental condition, it's extremely painful and serious. But if we're wise, then as those things change, our faculties, our relationships, our monastery, <laughs> Uh, then as they change uh, then the heart's ready for it there was a, uh, a um, uh, there was a very wonderful old Christian monk well, he's kind of a Christian Hindu monk called uh, um, uh, Father Bede Griffiths and he had this um, Shantivanam ashram in India and uh, he used to come and uh, he was invited to give talks in the, in the states from time to time and his very very posh sort of boarding school english accent and uh, he was being interviewed um by some some people in uh, in berkeley california and they they were asking him say well you know father bead you know you you've uh, you're a very erudite scholar, you've been studying the, you know, the Christian scriptures and the Upanishads and the Vedas you know, all your whole life, you've written, written many, many books, and you know, what would you say, you know, at the end of your life, here you are, you know, you're in your late 80s, you've been studying so much and you're so knowledgeable, you're so erudite over this whole field of spiritual knowledge, what would be, you say would be the most important teaching that you've learned over the years? He said, oh, I can't remember any of it, old boy. <laughs> it's all gone. can't remember a thing. I used to be so clever, but it's gone. And he was completely cheerful about the fact that all these sort of erudite statements and all this kind of range of knowledge he had, it was all smoke in the wind. He said, yes, uh, well, if I can just remember where I left my sandals, I'm fine. And that was, uh, you know, he had no sense of loss about not being able to... quote from the scriptures or or put you know a a um, a, uh, a kind of a passage from the the vedas uh, to uh, together to to quote to somebody it was no sense of loss like oh well there goes another one <laughs> and it was a, a very good example that he didn't uh, you know a, a wise person you know contemplative who's aging skillfully not trying to Pretend that he can still remember, or it's all still there. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, and that uh, we are. Um, if we're wise, we set ourselves up to re- be ready for things to change. They don't always change for the worse. They can change for the better as well. You know, sometimes the most, like our, our friend here asking about you know self criticism. Sometimes the most difficult thing is to hear that voice that says, "You are a swan." Yeah, you know, you're not the ugly duckling. You're a swan. Like, no, 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 no. I, I I've been an ugly duckling for so long. Yeah, you know, I can't. You can't take that away from me now. But that voice is No, actually, you're fine. You're a swan. <laughs> but you know, you're so committed to being a failure and being an ugly duckling that you can't bear that change. So it's not always losses. Sometimes it's, it's blessings. That uh, no, there's nothing to repair. Nothing to apologise for. There's nothing wrong with you. Eek! You know, for you know, professional self-critics, it's it's hard to take. So that if we reflect on on uh, then it's there's a a kind of uh, adaptability in the heart, a kind of readiness to. To be with things and uh, you know, as they as they are, and not to create a dependency on your, uh, you know, as I say, your faculties, your relationships, your self-view, um, and uh, and as I said, you know, just sometimes it's not painful things that are difficult to, to deal with. Sometimes being loved is really hard, especially for if you're English, yeah, you know, re- receiving people's affection, especially for the southern English. And I was born in Kent, so <laughs> the home county. Uh, forgive me, any home counties English people here. But being loved can be very, very difficult. Like uh, John Cleese said in uh, a fish called Wonder. being English is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that that kind of um, readiness to to change, to, to lose your faculties, to lose your relationships, to for the people close to you. To to die. I mean, as I said earlier, I, uh, this within the course of a week here, I'm probably talking to half a dozen or a dozen people every week who've had close family members or friends or, uh, who died, and they're dealing with uh, the grief of loss, and uh, it's intense. You know, that the, this feeling of, of sorrow is like I've never people, just a couple of days ago, someone said I've never experienced pain like this my whole life. You know, what what do I do with it? And as I was saying, the, the, the most skillful thing is you're not trying to shut that down or to not feel it, but to make that pain work for you. To say, to, to, so well, the best, one of the best things is to come to the monastery and recognize you're not alone. Because you know this person, her husband died 100 days ago. This person, you know, his father died 100 days ago. You know, we're all in the same boat. And then when I say things like, every single person in this sala, without exception, is going to die one day. Right? Nobody gets off this boat alive. This is the Titanic. (laughs) You can rearrange the furniture. You can adjust, you know, you can kind of redraw your eyebrows or kind of see if you kind of got your shaving tidy on both sides. But basically, we're on the Titanic. Everybody goes down with this ship. And Why is something in us surprised when you hear that? It's it's, it's completely irrational. When I say, everybody in this sala is going to die one day, the first thought is, no, 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 (laughs) no. That can't be right. But you can't really get through even half a sentence before you realize, well, well, yeah, of course. How could it not be that way? Every single one of these bodies is going to stop breathing one day. Right? So why is something in us surprised? But it is. So uh, to really take the teaching on an on change and uncertainty to heart, that is the heart that knows immediately, of course. And not just these bodies ceasing to breathe, but the faculties that we thought we had. It might be the case that I get to that door and go, which ones are my sandals? It can be. I mean, just because I'm the one up with the microphone doing all the talking doesn't mean to say that my faculties are any more protected or permanent than anybody else's. You know, Ajahn Chah had a a stroke when he was about sixty-four, and uh, uh, after a a few months, he couldn't. uh, He had for for about eight months, he could still speak and uh, he could still move a little bit but after you know, less than a year, then he was no longer able to move or to speak at all. But during that time when he could still speak, uh, his, uh, uh, his thinking faculties went really skew-wiff, as they say. Um, and so he would try to say something, and then a whole different sentence would come out. He would realize when somebody said, you know, good morning Lumpur, how are you? And he'd say, you know, white elephant, blue happy. And he realized that didn't mean anything. White elephants, blue happy. What's that about? He knew he'd said something weird, but it it just sort of came out that way. So, and then <clears throat> if he really willed it, he had extraordinarily strong will. So if he kind of if he really willed it, he could express himself directly. And when he was, he found it quite funny. The people who were with him would would get very upset and distressed, like <laughs> you know, pause Mind is collapsing. He thought it was quite funny, um, and uh, the comment that he made—if those of you who can remember telephone exchanges, where a telephone operator would plug uh, wires into different sockets—so his comment was, "The monkeys are playing in the telephone exchange." <laughs> <laughs> so this is the mental image that he's trying to put, connect. You know, you know, call coming in, you know, socket, you know, socket one. To you know, to the recipient in socket twenty three, and it was going into socket eighteen instead. So like the monkeys are kind of pulling the wires out and putting them in the wrong sockets. So he's trying to say, um, yeah, I'm fine, but my mind is weird. My my thoughts are weird." But what comes out is, you know, is white elephant blue happy. It's like, and he he would know that didn't make sense. But eventually, they had to uh, his uh, attendants had to ask him to stop speaking because. It was so ups- when people would come to visit, they'd be so upset. They, even though Lumpur himself was quite fine with it, he's you know, like, "Oh look, there goes another one." <laughs> he was quite at ease with it, but it was distressing for all the people. That, but you know, you're the Ajahn, you understand everything. You're always giving us such good advice. And you can, uh, how can it be that you you can't think straight, or how can it be that your your words don't make sense? You know, so they, his visitors, had a great sense of loss, but he didn't. <laughs> so that the if we're wise that's how we'll regard our own our own faculties and and uh, around us the 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 uh, faculties and the and the world around us that we stop taking uh making uh a uh, or trying to find de- dependability in that which is not dependable we stop trying to find security in that which is insecure that uh, and that you, and along the way, we begin to recognize what we're investing in. Investing in the reputation that we have, people's admiration, or, or people's availability, or, or in our own appearance, or our own ability to think, or see, or move. And that if we, if if we're wise, we'll recognize. Well, this is a, this is a, an impermanent condition. I, I lived in the states for a long time. And one of the people in the Buddhist group in California who uh, formed a little committee to help support the monastery was a quadriplegic. Uh, So that was a very uh, wonderful education for me, uh, living with him and working with him. Because he said uh, to the people in wheelchairs, uh, the rest of us are called uh, called TABs, temporarily (laughs) able-bodied. So... Those of us who are not in wheelchairs at the moment uh, we're tabs temporarily able bodied, and so just having that as a term is really helpful we're temporarily we're able bodied, but be prepared, and so that kind of um so you're seeing the habit of the mind looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, looking for dependability in that which is not dependable. we kind of recognize that and we go, oh okay, be careful." Don't don't rely on that, and so then, it's still the sweet is still sweet, the bitter is still bitter, but we know okay, well that's it's just uh, it's just that much. It doesn't really mean anything. It's there's no solid uh, quality there, and in that recognition, rather than that being a sense of loss, there's a sense of freedom. That's what like uh, in that that. Um, that all things uh, converge upon feelings and then headed by concentration, dominated by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom, they yield deliverance as their essence. So when that experience of, of, uh, of tasting or seeing or hearing or thinking, smelling t- and touching, when, as that forms, the, if, if the mind holds it with the right attitude, then it yields deliverance rather than dependency. It frees the heart rather than limits it. Maybe. One more. Yes, there's a hand down here. So right down here in the corner, don't Gentleman with the pale blue shirt tucked in the corner.
2: Um, y- yes, uh, I, I just wondered in terms of um, the places to try and break the links of the chain of dependent origination. I, I think you mentioned between uh, feeling Vedana and Tanha and also ignorance. And I just wondered what um, the best uh, tools were, whether mindfulness is for breaking the link between Vedana and Tanha, uh, and, Tana. and uh, for ignorance, is it uh, uh, the, the, the general cultivation of wisdom? Uh, and then also I wondered, um, is there another link, uh, the, the link between uh, um, Tanha and Upadana, with the link to, uh, to grasping, well, is that also a place, a link that can be broken?
0: Well, good questions. Um, I'll do the second one first, I'll respond to um, the, the, the sort of received understanding, and also I would say my experience is that the, the link between feeling and craving is the weakest link. It's like the train is standing at the platform. This doesn't really work with trains now because the doors automatically close before they start moving, but if we can rewind for a few years to when trains could move with the doors still open. (laughs) So uh, I have to come up with a different model nowadays. So the Vedana and Tanha, it's rather like the train is in the station, you can get on the train, you can get off the train. Yeah, it's not moving. Uh, If Tanha is conditioning Upadana, it's like the train's already moving. So getting off the train is—you you can hop off the train and, and run down the platform a little bit and just sort of steady yourself, but it's already underway. Um, as I said, I have to come up with a different analogy. It's a bit, bit overdue, but uh, that it, it, it can be, but it's—it's um, it's more challenging. So the, the easiest, the weakest link is—is that, um, in a way, your mindful. Yeah, there's the. Um, uh, I would say at that, at that point, the, the things that are most helpful are, first of all, right view, samaditi, like recognizing, oh, this is the framework. This is, the, this is feeling, this is craving. Okay, uh, this is, and this is what needs to happen here, is to stick with the feeling and not let the mind drift into craving. So that framework of what's happening, is, I would say, is right view, is, gives you that. And then yeah, the mindfulness to be paying attention to that, and then and then the effort to do the letting go, so to 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 be not, uh, say taking hold of the that feeling of uh, I, I you know this is horrible, I hate it, uh, or this is gorgeous, I've got to have more of it. To so those three, I would say that right, uh, right view, right mindfulness, and right effort are uh, they they're the kind of principal tools. Um, at at that point i mean in in a way that's uh uh, well there's all sorts of different ways you can approach it in terms of the um both that and the and uh, avidya itself ignorance itself the um in a way the most powerful support is spiritual friendship who you and again there's another not to bore you with sequential teachings but um there is a a very helpful little teaching whether, where the... because usually when the buddha is describing dependent origination it starts off with ignorance avijja pachaya, sankhara and that almost always that ignorance is the 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 first step but there's a particular teaching that he gives um which is again in the book of the tens in the anguttara the numerical discourses where he says you know er, you know that Ignorance is not without a support. It's not without nutriment. It has things that cause ignorance. And it's really interesting because what he says is, if you haven't got good spiritual friends, then it's likely that you won't spend time listening to the teachings. You, you know, you, uh, if you've got good friends, you will seek out the Dhamma teachings. If you have good spiritual friends, you'll seek out the teachings. If you listen to the Dhamma teachings, then that supports the quality of faith. Yeah, if there's an the, 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 a, a increase of the, the quality of faith, then that is going to increase the quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension, sati and sampajanya. Yeah, if, you have, if you have faith, it's going to give rise to sati and sampajanya. So if you have mindfulness and clear comprehension, that's going to incline you to, be, to being more restrained, to kind of be more contained in your actions. To be more, um, say uh, modest and you know, living in less in a sort of chaotic or compu- you know, impulsive way, you're going to be more restrained. And uh, if you are a uh, uh, more restrained, then you're going to be giving rise to less unwholesome speech and action and thought. And the the less you give rise to unwholesome speech and action and thought, the less that the 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 hindrances are. Uh, are fed and maintained, and if the if the hindrances are not fed and maintained, then the, that deprives ignorance of its fuel source so there 's a whole little sequence and but it starts off with spiritual friendship so and in the same way if you if you haven 't got good friends, you won't listen to the teachings faith won't arise you you'll be less mindful and have less you know, clear comprehension you 'll be um you'll be less restrained, you'll tend to give rise to more chaotic uh, thought, action and speech, that will increase the hindrances and, and increase ignorance. And, uh, and I would say in terms of, of uh, the, the other one as well, the, um, the, the link between feeling and craving, that also if you've got like minded friends, I mean, this is how uh, AA works and the 12 step programs, you, know, you have friends, it's, it's the friendship and like, joining together with like-minded people that help you to break free from those destructive habits because the presence of the others trying to carry out the same effort, it strengthens you. And so that um, if it's just me and there's the fridge, it's hmm, like, well, you know, that ice cream pot kind of it's untidy. It, you know, it needs to be straightened up, you know. <laughs> You know, I hate it when people leave you know the, the you know things untidy in the fridge I need to kind of smooth off the surface a little bit and if it's just you on your own I'm just making this up you know I don't have ice cream in my fridge so. but you know the, this is what happens if it's just you on your own then you can find yourself downing a whole pint of ice cream just with following an impulse if you've got your other friends over for the meditation group you can't sit there on your cushion with a pot of ice cream <laughs> and others sitting there meditating. It's, just, it's not going to happen because you know it's just a passing impulse. It doesn't need to be followed. So the strength and the commitment, the resolution of your friends is what helps to sustain you in your effort. So that uh, I think that's a, uh, in terms of helping us to break free of these cycles whether it's uh, the dukkha point or the feeling point or the vicca point that uh, in, in a way spiritual friendship is the most powerful f- support for helping the heart to to break free and that um the um, that that's something that we can see for ourselves and to to um Also, maybe the last thing to say is that everyone is a bit different, or very different. So that it's important that each one of us recognizes how we get lost in our our various um, delusions or preferences or fears or or aversions, desires. And that uh, to get to know how your particular pattern works is really important. Because each one of us, you you can't really... uh, Generalize. You know, each one of us has got a, a like a unique pattern that's been conditioned by our own language, our life experiences, our age, our nationality, our gender, and you know, the whole huge array of different influences. So it it's important for each one, each person, to kind of explore. And say, well, okay, that's what it says in the book, or that's what uh, Payutto talks about, but what happens here? <laughs> yeah. You know? You know, chocolate, pizza, alcohol, cigarettes—absolutely no problem. But I really need people to approve and you know, and affirm me. Yeah, and, you know, you can be totally addicted to affirmation, which might seem to be, like, well, that's not bad, <laughs> but it can be as strong uh, an addiction as to alcohol or tobacco or whatever. So we need to get to know how we tick and then cater the. The uh, the way that we handle it according to that. So I see the clock has gone past four already. So uh, let's call it to a close there. Thank you all for your good attention and good questions. Somebody else will be doing the talk uh, next week. There's a two week retreat beginning next uh, Friday. So um, I think I've got one more left during the Vassa, but there uh, it'll be somebody else offering the talk next Sunday.